everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we talk about the week's hottest legal topics. This week, what we're going to be covering is two different cases regarding January 6th that are being currently reviewed by the Supreme Court, both in different ways and in different statuses. Um, but one of them, including Trump, the other two re- or the other one related to others who were there at the the um, at the Capitol that day. So we're going to review what's happening there, what the possibilities are, how the laws relate, and what we think might happen with the Supreme Court on it, maybe an opinion or two. We're also going to talk about the impeachment proceedings, um, impeachment against Biden, as well as how that connects with Hunter Biden, his son, and some of the charges that he's now facing again, um, and in addition to the ones he was previously under plea agreement for. Finally, we're going to talk about another case or two um, that the Supreme Court is reviewing currently. The biggest one that we're going to touch on before the end of the show is the abortion pill case that's currently before the Supreme Court. So a lot of Supreme Court issues today. Stay tuned with us as we go through each of them. It's an exciting time legally for us. I'm Virginia Tarani. I am with The Law Inscripted. I'm the CEO, and we host The Legal Weekly Wine. I'm also a full-time practicing attorney in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia with Tarani Law. Because you never need a lawyer, tell you do. do. (laughs) (laughs) And there with me is Dr. John Vile. He's the dean of the Honors College at Middle Tennessee State University, um, an expert in the Constitution, the amending process, and constitutional law. Um, Dr. Vile, I know you've written, is it over 50 books that you've been writing or editing full editor for contributor, um, almost all of them surrounding the constitution, um, and rewriting the constitution, amending the constitution, as well as America's symbols and founding fathers. And I'm very excited to have you here talking about the Supreme court cases that are on review, um, because that's how you and I initially started my legal journey is your classes for constitutional law. That in mock trial? Yes, in mock trial. So I I have you to blame. Yes. (laughs) The shame of it all. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, for those of of you who don't know yet on the podcast, Dr. Vile is my father. Um, And yes, I was crazy enough to take his classes in college. Um, He was actually my mentor, my advisor, the chair of the political science department that I was in, my mock trial coach, and my teacher. Um, Now he's gone on to bigger and better things without me as the dean of the Honors College, um, but has kept a few of those things in. And I... I tell you, I I told one of the one of my friends a story a couple of days ago that I'll repeat here. I think it's it's appropriate for today. Is um, in your constitutional law classes, I worked so hard to get A's, and I worked hard in all of my classes. But for you especially, I mean, I could how I would be ashamed if I came out with a B or a C in my own dad's classes. And I remembered one of my classmates. Um, who did not know me or you as well, um, or very well at all. When I got the first A in your first class, they said, well, of course you did. You're his daughter. And I will never forget one of the other mock trial students stood up for me and says, 
yes, but do you know what that means? <laughs> and the kid said, no, I don't understand. Yeah, she was shown favoritism. And he said, no, he made her work harder than anyone else in the class. She basically made two A's. <laughs> Very good. So, so yeah, I was, I was held to a higher standard, but it was... <laughs> It was, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. <laughs> and today, to consider um, being a couple decades ago now, to, to be having you back with me and having a conversation about the current Supreme Court um, session. Doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. What a life we live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I do so want Let me tell a story on myself. So I have to have a tooth extracted. Oh, that's right. This week. Ago. And so I came home and slept and it's like, I don't feel like doing legal work today, but I got to do something. So I finished up a biography of uh, Isaacson biography of Albert Einstein and I get almost through and there's a chapter on Einstein and the First Amendment. And I suddenly realize I have to do an essay for the First Amendment encyclopedia on Albert Einstein. <laughs> because there it actually, is. It's very fascinating. He was a strong defender mm. of academic freedom. Uh, he was a probably what you call a democratic socialist, but he was very much opposed to dictatorships on either the right or the left. And when hmm. if people have seen the movie uh, Oppenheimer, right, you know, he went to Congress, he sort of stepped in it and didn't, you know, they ended up this uh, this disbarring dis isn't the right word, but taking away his clearance. And Einstein had counsel, don't go and assert the Fifth Amendment, assert the First Amendment. Uh, oh, they have no business, you know, dealing with what your political opinions are. And so, so it was. It was sort of fun to, you know, the, the, the beauty of reading outside one's discipline is that often you find ten points of it fits uh, back in. Yeah, right. And and I think part of you and I were talking before this, and I think it's appropriate to bring up here too is one of the things that we're seeing surrounding this January 6th case going up into the Supreme Court right now, the one that has been accepted is by two of the people who are being charged with the criminal offenses of obstructing an official proceeding, correct? Yes. And yes. you mentioned, and I think this is a great time to get into it, is, is this an issue more of First Amendment freedoms versus anything else? Well, that's the, the, the issue. I mean, there's the, the, the law, one of the obstruction charges that are being used against some of the participants basically was used, I think, pri was primarily developed for organized crime. More uh, like a RICO behavior, case. Destroying documents and that sort of thing. It's been, it's been applied to these rioters. And you know, typically in criminal law, you do, in fact, try to, you know, we don't have ex post facto laws. So you need to know clearly what a criminal law is before you can be convicted of a criminal offense. The lower court, as I understand it, the district court actually threw out this uh, guy's name is Fisher. Uh, and there's a couple other defendants, but they originally threw out a case or right. They said that the obstruction charges did not apply, that they did were not intended for this kind of event. 
And the appellate court, and I just got it, This it's been out for a while, but I just printed it off this morning. It's 103 pages, oh. so I haven't gotten through it yet. But they they say, well, oh, part of it is documents, but it's, uh, says, it also says the word otherwise uh, obstructing, and they believe that this counts. Now, what I'm not sure, I do know that in the case that Jack Smith has brought, on January 6th against Trump, as I understand it, there are four charges and two of them are obstruction. Correct. So even if the even if the Supreme Court were to overturn the appellate court here, Smith would still have two other charges related to that. And right. of course, you still have the documents case down in Mar-a-Lago. You still have the civil case in New York and, and, and uh, the Carroll case as well. Um, What's concerning about the case, well, let's back up, probably Fisher and others, there's some, there seems to be evidence, as I understand it, that they actually assaulted police officers. Right. And they did more than just entry. And, and they probably trespassed when they came into the Capitol when it was closed. And particularly, I don't know if they came in through the windows rather than the door or not. But right. You know, there there may be other charges to which they would still be subject, um, but this could impinge, you know, part of what's happening here, most people believe that Trump's primary legal strategy at this point is delay. Right. Uh, he's trying to appeal as much as he can. And I think, you know, there is question. I mean, there's, there's question first. Th there's an immunity question right now on a lot of these cases. Can you... And we talked about this last week. Mm -hmm. You know, there have been decisions now at the district court and at a appellate court, one saying he's not immune for extra for campaign acts as opposed right. to acts of the presidency. And another saying if he committed crimes, you're not exempt from crimes. But would he be exempt at least from prosecution, if he were to be reelected in 2024, if he, you know, if he serves from 25 to 29, right? You, you know, by the time that's over, is anybody going to going to care anymore? And know? would it be told? Would the statute be told? Whereas it just hangs out for four years, right. or would it have to be dismissed? Would he then be considered immune? Right. Um, does and, the character change? And, you know, one of the things I, I was reading an article just a day or so, maybe it was this morning even, that said, and I don't remember this, but said that near the Supreme Court, there are some statues or within the court of tortoises oh. that remind people that, low, that law is often slow. Oh, but, how interesting. I, and I I can't verify that, but it, but it's it sounds like it's, if it's not true, it ought to be, it right? It should be. Yes, um, the wheels of justice turn slowly. Right, but they grind. They grind finally, if if I remember mm. the rest of it. But you know, we are in a point where you know Smith wants to do his case in March, right? Which would be right about the time, probably, that the Republican nomination is sewn up, but before the election, and. You know, if the Supreme Court takes this and sits on it, right. you know, typically their most important decisions don't come down to the end of June. June. Um, 
it really wouldn't give the American people the full information maybe that some of them would think they would need right uh, prior to you know prior to an election so it, it's a pretty fascinating you know issue yeah and so that gets us so there's the one case that's turning on whether this is obstruction right um, whether the law is overly broad um, and prohibits and prevents speech shouldn't be applied and the right. other right one- I mean it, yeah it's very typical, you know, to have a protest outside of a school board meeting or a city hall or a state capitol. And there's certainly nothing wrong with people who assemble, simply assembling at the capitol. But I think in the case of Fisher, he's alleged to have brought weapons with him. He's alleged to have said, you know, we're going down there to fight, uh, you know, words that might indicate that he was not simply there for the purposes of peaceful protest. But you do want to be careful, particularly in the free speech area, that it the the typical language is that, you know, that it doesn't sweep too broadly. And, uh, and I'm wondering if if these particular defendants are not the best ones to have brought a case where they have to review the facts of each defendant, not the the facts overall, right. which will play into it, but they're not reviewing all of the defendant's characters um, and all of their actions. They're reviewing these. And is it possible then that their, their ruling would be very limited to the facts in the, in the case in controversy before them? Well, it might. And of course, Trump's is going to be even more attenuated because he, well, he gave a speech, but he did not, as promised, actually march to the Capitol, right. trespass on the Capitol, or as far as I know, exchange blows with anyone. Right. So, you know, he, and he's, in terms of political speech, he has pretty broad protection there. Right. Uh, but not if it, not if it raises the threat of imminent violent action, the Brandenburg test that we've talked about before. Right. And so the second case that Trump's involved in, this is the one with Jack Smith that right. that you're talking about is it's on hold through Judge Chutkin um, right. for the, the March court date, which has been set. And that particular issue is different. So we've got the obstruction issue that is right. part of the case that the other case will have implications for these two charges against Trump. But yes. the the um, the issue he's raising is whether he has privileges and immunities, whether he's immune right. for presidential action from that day. And it's it's Smith. It's Jack Smith who petitioned up to the Supreme Court to have request that they take it very quickly and consider right. it quickly. Remember, we talked about two immunity cases. Right. One was for civil, the other was for criminal. So this is a criminal immunity case. Both ruled against Trump. In other words, both decided right. that he did not have immunity for that that what he did was not as directly connected to his job that would give him immunity. <laughs> but what has happened is Typically, a case that starts in the U.S. District Court will go from the District Court to the Appellate Court and then to the Supreme Court. And Smith has asked to jump that middle step, Expedite. which the court has done, I think, in about 50 cases. There have been other cases. Total. Where there were, pardon? 
50 total for all the time yes. that they've been. Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fairly unusual uh, thing, but th there is a provision that you can appeal. And I believe it has to be from a three judge district court, which if I remember, this was. And so uh, he's trying to expedite review on the immunity charge. Again, he's lost on, I, I, I think Trump is going to have a better, or Trump forces will have a better chance with the other case and with the immunity. Now that's, that's my view and it could be wrong. I don't think you're going to get immunity for something that is charged to be a criminal offense. Sure. Uh, I just don't, if, if we do, maybe we need to rewrite the constitution uh you know it doesn't it doesn't wow. use yeah. the words no no person is above the law but if there's any principle implicit in the constitution that's the principle right and i i think the other piece of what i see is that there would be no reason for pardon if it weren't an actual criminal activity so this statement of can the president pardon himself? Well, he would pardon himself from criminal activity, from actions that he took that could potentially be prosecuted. That right. if and there's that implication, then that doesn't make him immune. Right. Well, the other thing is that I'm going to probably lose. Right. The Constitution, the only limit that the Constitution, well, president cannot can pardon for federal offenses, not state offenses, not civil law. Right. But the unanswered question is whether a president could issue a pardon to himself. For himself. That's never been adjudicated. I think there's strong arguments to, you know, there's another, the, 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 here's where you get the boundary between our written constitution and our unwritten constitution. You know, no man is above the law. Right. Uh, but the other principle, legal principle, is no person should be a judge in his own case. Right. And that would strongly. Now, you would think that there would be a strong political repercussion from pardoning yourself. Uh, but in many ways, the rules haven't applied to Trump as much as they have to other people. And so maybe there would not be. Right. And so so this case for for Trump's case that has been is trying to be expedited. There's a little bit of a difference, and it seems like a very nuanced difference, but the other case related to January 6th with the other defendants is already at the Supreme Court level. Um, it has been accepted for review and I consideration. Right. Whereas the request by Jack Smith, I believe, is still just a request. And what the Supreme Court is considering is whether to take the case um, well, at and all, the Supreme and Court has been so unfair. They expect attorneys <laughs> to work in December. <laughs> right. uh, what is happening to the country? <laughs> um, you know, don't they? You know, the, the Trump's team apparently claims that they have they are the uh, the Grinch that has stolen Christmas. Yes, uh, by demanding or asking that they file a response. I believe by the twentieth or yes, December twentieth. Um, so we haven't so, even gotten into Christmas. Well, I mean, I'd but, like to take off the whole month of December, but yeah. I mean, in all of my 18 years of practice, I don't remember 
getting to choose to take the entire Christmas time off, the courts continue to work. And if the well, courts so are open... you need to become a college professor, <laughs> although I don't remember it either. In fact, I have two books that I need to do indices for over the holidays. So <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, will be off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> We're all protected. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is truly interesting. I mean, we even had, um, when I was at the prosecutor's office in Virginia, we had an exchange where the attorneys, only half the office could take off for the, the day before and the day after Christmas, and the other half would then get New Year's. So you could not do both. They said, you know, we have to have this office fully covered and staffed and working during the holidays. You just get to pick which two days you get off, whether it's the Christmas or the New Year's ones. Um, so, it, yeah, this whole Grinch thing is is a little bit laughable, at least for, I believe, most practicing attorneys and even apparently some college professors. <laughs> Do you think that they will, with with your knowledge of the Supreme Court and especially the current members of the Supreme Court, what do you think they will do with this request for an expedited review? I just don't know. I, I've oh. sort of given up predicting. Um, I mean, I think it there's a sense of fairness. There's a sense in fairness, say on the immunity question. If you really are immune, then you shouldn't have to be producing documents and you know paying attorneys mm -hmm. for months and months. But I think that's a really weak case. The other one I think is a. I, I think the the other case we talked about is a little bit stronger. Um, the fact that they have taken a case in which there's a fairly definitive ruling by an appellate court might suggest that they're not completely comfortable with it. Oh, interesting. Uh, but I, you know, it's, it's similar to an issue we discussed, we've been discussing about whether states can keep a president off the ballot. Right. The 14th amendment 14th question. Amendment. Some people say, well, let's wait till the election but if you wait or wait till next January, then then you get another sort of Bush versus Gore situation where it looks like the determining factor in the election is not the American people, but nine people on the Supreme Court. Right. So I think there would be a true advantage in expediting review here. Uh, I would caution Trump that many presidents are. Some presidents have thought they had the court in their palm of their hand. And just because they were appointed, I think most people take their oaths fairly seriously. Right. Um, and, you know, in in the Nixon case, U.S. versus Nixon, where, you know, they ruled that the the transcripts could be released, there were four Nixon appointees on the court. Rehnquist recused himself, but all the other three joined the, the majority right. in ruling that he had to turn the tapes over. And so I'm not, if, frankly, to date of the three, you know, the courts have done a much better job so far of standing up to what I consider to be executive abuses than Congress has. Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah. it and it's a little it's a little difficult to understand how a defeated 
candidate for president continues to exert the same kind of influence over Congress, even though, you know, well, it, and, I mean, and truthfully, he's never won the popular vote. Right. But I mean, he legitimately certainly won the, the 2016 election. Uh, but he clearly did not win the 2020 election. And so usually a party moves on. Right. And for some reason, you know, the Trump formula has worked for a lot of others. Now, it hasn't worked very well in the midterm elections. And I, you know, I have some, well, we, we will see what the what the party does. Here on that. Sure. Well, definitely interesting times. And I guess so after we'll probably have to wait until after Christmas at the new year to find out what the Supreme Court has You can't ruled. make me work over the holidays. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I'll be calling you. It's okay. If I'm working, you're working. <laughs> but I, I guess the soonest we could probably expect a decision as to whether they will even take the case and especially on an expedited fashion, would be at the new year if the briefs are due so. on the 20th. Probably so. Okay, so we'll, we'll stay well, tuned Well, depending for that. on how, we, I mean, some of the briefs that have been submitted have been pretty sloppy. And it's, okay. you know, if that happens, I mean, they, they better put their full effort in it because the court's not going to put up with a lot of nonsense. So. Sure. Uh, okay, so with that, we're going to move from the court over okay. to Congress, and I would love to get your thoughts and opinions on <laughs> the impeachment proceedings. Impeachment, okay, so let's go I'm historic. using language, right, and, and I'm using okay. language that's in the media, not necessarily that applies, so make sure we okay. know what it is. Okay, so let, let's go to the, the founding father, or let's go to early American history. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a president impeached until, well, there wasn't even a suggestion for impeachment, to my knowledge, of a president till John Tyler, and that didn't go anywhere. And the first president to be impeached, which means formal charges were brought against him by the House of Representatives, was Andrew Johnson. Okay. Uh, 1867 or 80, somewhere along in there. Um and they fell one short of the two-thirds necessary to convict him in the Senate. So then we went from eight, the 1860s to 1970s before there was another credible threat of an impeachment of a president. And that was, and Nixon. That was Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. He wasn't impeached because he resigned beforehand, largely because members of his own party told him and the senators said, you know, if it were to come to us today and we had to vote, we'd have to vote to impeach you, to, to, to remove you from office. So then you have an impeachment of Bill Clinton for uh, sexual improprieties and uh, prevarication. And there was no conviction on that. There were impeachment There was no conviction on that. And in fact, his popularity seemed to go up. Uh, right. It didn't work politically. There were two impeachments of Donald Trump. One for uh, sort of what appeared to be an attempt to strong arm a Ukrainian president by withholding funds unless he would conduct an investigation against, guess Russia. who, 
the Hunter Biden. Right. With regard to, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then, then, of course, there was a second impeachment related to the events of January um, yeah, uh, January uh, 6th. But it was yeah, now January in 6th. that one, make sure I'm right on this fact. I, I believe that came after he actually was no longer president. It did. And that that mm-hmm. lent an element of, you know, is this appropriate? You know, sh- sh- should he? Why did they wait till after he left the presidency? So and, and can you? So that that muddied the waters a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what's what's further muddied it is. At the time that the Congress voted, or the Senate voted not to convict, prominent members, and apparently Trump's attorneys themselves, made the argument, uh, you can still, you know, we can still be criminally prosecuted. Uh, this doesn't settle it. But Trump has since made an argument to Trump's attorneys that this is a form of double jeopardy since he's already been since the Senate has ruled uh, that he wasn't guilty, how can a criminal court do so? I think that's a pretty flimsy argument, uh, but they've made the argument. So, but what has happened is, my my interpretation of what's happened, I think there's good reason for it. There's no doubt that Hunter Biden has, is not the kind of, well, he's not the kind of son that most people would want to have. Um, that's why Biden talks a lot about Bo, you know, the one who went into the military and served as attorney general Hunter, uh, you know, apparently was addicted to drugs, probably alcohol. Uh, he spent a lot of money on pornography. Uh, he liked to live in the fast lane. Uh, he apparently is involved in a lot of business dealings that, I would not be able, you know, if that he basically got because of the Biden name, even sold paintings on the base, you know, uh, for hundreds of thousands of dollars or tried to do so. And some of the business dealings are overseas with foreign. Right. The business dealings include Mm -hmm. in China, Ukraine, uh, other. uh, Saudi Arabia, is that correct? I, maybe um, I've got that, that may one be wrong. The, that may be the Trump family. <laughs> uh, okay. It's, it's um, hard to keep everything straight. It, it, it is. But, you know, there's, there's clear evidence, I think, that Hunter Biden has played on the family name. Now, that in and of itself is not necessarily a crime. Right. Um, a lot of famous people, you know, they get positions because, because the, their name has some drawing power. And, right. You know, if anybody knows, you know, certainly Trump found, I mean, if you look at Trump's argument, he's arguing that his property is worth more because it has his name on it. Right. Um, so that's not terribly unusual. So there's a lot going on, you know, and Hunter thought he had a plea deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it fell through at the last minute. He's now been indicted for a variety of crimes and now Republicans in the House are saying it's time to impeach his father. Joe, right. Now, there doesn't, in my judgment, there doesn't seem to be any concrete evidence right now that suggests that the president profited in any way from his son's business dealings. In fact, it looks like he had to give his son loans to buy cars and that sort of thing. But 
I think what's happening here is it's sort of a way of saying, well, you impeached our guy twice. We're going to impeach your guy and we're going to make it. We're going to make it like all impeachments are equal. Right. Okay. You impeach us. We'll impeach you. Impeachment doesn't really mean anything. And, and to, you know, impeachment in my judgment, I I know there's always a political dimension, Mm -hmm. But I think it really is, I mean, it, it is a constitutional process. Right. Somebody has to, and, and there's some definitional problems. You, know, you have to be treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Or misdemeanors. There's right. there some questions as to what high crimes and misdemeanors are. But there seems to be plenty of evidence that Hunter Biden has engaged in questionable activities. But there doesn't seem at present to be a tie to his father. Now, isn't uh, but, that why they just issued Hunter Biden a subpoena, though? Is to try to get information that would implicate his father. Right, which most people would call a fishing expedition. Uh, but are they know, allowed to do that through impeachment proceedings? Well... <laughs> Oh, I've caught you. Well, <laughs> very I long mean, pause can, there. There's a lot of things that you can get by with that are not good policies and are not good law. Um, can he, you know, we have some, one of the people who's pushing the Biden impeachment, as I understand it, himself refused to follow a subpoena to testify about what happened on January the 6th. But okay. you're going to subpoena somebody else in an attempt to get at his father. Right. There, there's a case, and, and we talked about it earlier, and I can't, I think it's U.S. versus Daltrey, but it's from like the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Early the, case. The Harding, Harding administration was, you know, fairly corrupt. Or his, mm-hmm. I don't know that Harding was, but his associates were. Mm-hmm. And one of them that was under investigation was an attorney general named, I believe it was Harry Daltrey. But okay. in any event, they tried to subpoena his brother, who was a banker, for information related to that. And basically what the court said is dealt with congressional investigation. You can't investigate for the purposes simply of exposure. exposure. Sure. You have to you have to be directed to to something that deals materially with the person you're investigating. And I think that's going to be the be the big question here. Uh, If Biden, if if Hunter Biden is proved guilty of all of these charges, unless there's a tie to his father, I don't know that it's really relevant. Right. And so I, th- I I think there the court could, I mean, I think you would have a basis certainly for stepping us, you know, saying I'll testify about this, but, uh, you know, you don't have any business looking into my personal life for something right. that's already, that I've already been charged with in court. Right. That's a matter for the courts to decide, not a matter for Congress to decide. Hmm. Well, this will be interesting too. Um, so. Yes. <laughs> uh, that and it, 
we've said it before, but the, the old, is it the proverb or the Chinese, whatever, may you live in interesting times. Yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where you and I have said it to each other a few times. And even my husband, Eric is, you know, we, we get through a night and how many different things happen today in the country and overseas and may you live in interesting times. It it is hard to keep track of. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, but, but honestly, and as far as, as people involved in the legal field, it has been for me over my, you know, almost 20 year career, some of the, one of the biggest years of legal history. You know, I've been at this a long time and the closest I can come to is is a Watergate. Uh, (laughs) When when I was in graduate school and literally, you you know, you check the paper, that and the Pentagon Papers case, (laughs) you you, you read every day in the paper what was what was happening next. And it is very similar to that. very consequential in you know decisions and we need to yeah. remember you know whatever whatever we decide about presidential immunity or any of these cases will not simply apply to the you know current occupant or previous sure. occupant it will apply down the road right and i think you know i think it's particularly important that we get the issue right as to whether I hope a president does not have immunity for criminal actions that he takes when he was president. I do. I'll I'll concur with that. Is I I do hope whether it's Trump or anybody else. I know that a lot of people on the program or who listen to the program think we're completely anti-Trump, and I I beg to disagree. I'm um, pro constitution. <laughs> exactly. I think that's especially where you and I fall on this. Is what is the the legal ramifications for you? Especially, it's the constitution. For me, in my capacity, it's you know criminal law should be able. You know, you should be able to do a prosecution and let it fall through. The the jury, you know, let them decide beyond a reasonable doubt if the charges have been proven. Um, but with this, where was I headed? Goodness, I'm losing track of myself. Um, Chalk it up to the times. No, I I know to the to the times. Have you already had your weekly wine? Maybe that's it. Okay, so let's do that since I've lost my train of thought, and maybe the rest of you can can get through. Oh, that we don't want people to be able to get away with crimes. I think that the biggest thing for me is if being president means you can do anything at all and you're completely immune from anything, then what's the point? Um, even the president, according to the Constitution, can be guilty of treason. So there is at least some fundamental basis that the president is not immune from all crimes. And I think it does need to be narrowed down and established is all of the conduct by a president during his presidency considered to be above the law or immune from lawsuit or immune from you know indictment or conviction? Or is there somewhere where he's still human? And he's still subject to the laws of the United States, which he has pledged to uphold according to his oath of office. Yes. Um, but, okay, so the wine, we're going to do that, and then we're going to talk briefly about the abortion pills case. I uh, don't want to end without that. I am in honor of <laughs> in honor of all of our um, crimes and possible misdemeanors and felonies. I have gone back to one of my favorites where we started at the very beginning of the program um, early in this year, is mm-hmm. I've, I've gone to one of my favorite wines called 19 Crimes. 
so I thought it I thought it was a good idea for today is, you know, with all the crimes that we're looking at for, for President Trump, I think is more like 95 or however many it is now. But, you know, 19 is a good number. I love this brand. It, I I was drawn to it because I thought it was very clever and hilarious that it's 19 crimes. There is a deeper meaning. Apparently, it's the 19 crimes that would get you um, shipped off to Australia if you committed them. Um, so so it's a, a harken back to that. But they actually have um, on their bottles, they have stories of some of the men. You can see a different man from each of the bottles on each of the bottles that has a different story as to what crime they committed to get to Australia that had them, you know, shipped off to Australia. The ancient Greeks, help me with a word. They had a word for you could convict somebody and send them out of... Uh, Oh, um, why am I blanking on it? I'm blanking on it too. I, anyway, you could, one of their punishments was you got to go live in a different city. Yeah, we got to expel you from our city. You, you got to yes. go away. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's very similar. Um, I don't think we technically can, can you know send any of our troublemakers to Australia anymore. Um, but we, it, you know, it's either Australia or Georgia, right? Oh, right. That was the original right. Oglethorpe and yes. you remember the founding of Georgia? They yes. sent criminals there. Yes. They they started with criminals. They that's the colony. And of no, Georgia. no implication on present people in Georgia. I'm no. sure good folks all. <laughs> well, like Australia, you know, there's no yes. offense meant to Australia. It's a wonderful country now. It just, you know, yeah. happens to be where they originally sent criminals. Um, so anyway, that's the 19 crimes. They do have, they usually have some kind of um, place where you can look it up on their website to find out more about the story and even see it interactively, which I think is fun. And the other fun part of this wine, um, this label specific series is that they have Snoop Dogg on it. And I believe they actually have one now for Martha Stewart. Um, so we're not talking Australia anymore. I think they're stretching it beyond the Australian bounds, but the Snoop Dogg one is actually very tasty. I highly recommend it. Um, today we're doing the uprising. Um, so a red wine aged 30 days in rum barrels is what we're doing today. Okay. Did you have anything to toast with? Have you got your trusty yes, water? Yes, H two O again. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> to to the weekly wine and uh, the interesting times. So the interesting times we had the reversal of Roe versus Wade within the last few years. Uh -huh. Yes. And now we have one pending for review that has been accepted by the Supreme Court that is related, which is colloquially called the abortion pill. Right. And what is what is the specific implication that's being brought to the Supreme Court for a review? I think what what Dobbs is generally considered to have done, we'll maybe go back to Roe. Prior to Roe, you had different laws for abortion in different states. And Roe created sort of a floor, I guess a floor for you know, you, you have the right to abortion up through certainly the first trimester and in some cases through the second trimester. Right. Um, Dobbs basically says the court should not have been involved in this because the federal constitution doesn't mention abortion. And so we're going to send it back to the states. Now, the question, as I understand it, is so apparently close to half the abortions in the United States now are medically or 
medicinally induced rather than surgical. Okay. And so can, can a state that let's say has a, a six week or a 12 week of prohibition on abortion, can they prohibit the importation of a drug that's basically an abortifacient? Mm-hmm. Um, it's commerce and, issues. Pardon? It's interstate yeah, it's commerce com- issues. I mean, you're right. Generally, the, generally, well, matters of Congress has control over matters of interstate commerce, and that was mm-hmm. a, a major innovation of the U.S. Constitution over the Articles of Confederation. But often, Congress will try to accede to a state's own policy. So I, I believe there have been past cases that have allowed states to prohibit, for example, the importation of lottery tickets if a lottery was illegal within that state. And so here the question becomes, you know, can you can we keep this a federal issue and can we tell pharmacies, well, you can send it to this state, but not to that state? Mm. And, you know, could you prosecute someone for now, I do think many of the abortifacients are they're more typically given early in pregnancy than in late. Right. So some of them might still fall, you know, states that have like a 20 week ban or something. They might still be legal there to use. But it's it's you know, we have a connected economy in a connected country and it, it's difficult sometimes. And we sort of you sort of see the same thing like with marijuana. Right. Um, you know, some states now permit it, some don't. Um, should you be able to send it, you know, can you carry marijuana from one state where it was legal into another? Generally right. not, right? Um, correct. If there's a still a prohibition even against possession of the drug. Right. So it's, it's a little like that issue. Uh, and I have no idea how it will be resolved. I mean, I... I haven't studied it that much. Right. Uh, make a good term paper. Absolutely wanna, would. I'm going to go back and move that A to an A+. plus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because they didn't even have A-plus options back no, then. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I should resubmit. So I'm going to submit my opinion as to how the court will rule um, on the issues of the abortion pill in relation to the Commerce Clause. Okay. <laughs> All Sounds right. Good. So, oh, and one other yes. thing we've got to mention, right? Please. So Michael Cohen's attorneys. Oh, yes. Talk about faux pas, apparently. Oh, more than the faux pas. The charge is that they cited three cases, two of which did not apply and one of which may not even exist. And I don't know if if that's just sloppiness, it, if it... If it's proved to be intentional, if you made up oh, a, a case worse. and a ruling, you're in deep trouble. Well, the attorneys could possibly be disbarred because the well, ethics I mean, rules, they require candor to the court. And most sure. states interpret that as telling the truth in all of your pleadings and your motions, any filing right. with the court, including to any cases that are against the ones that you're citing. So you have to right. give the pro cases and usually the the con cases. And if you're making up cases in order to influence a judge, like you said, either by sloppiness or intention, I think that would almost be the level of reprimand that a bar could do. But in both cases, if you're 
being sloppy or intentional, there are still ethical implications. I mean, one, one hopes that maybe they just got the name wrong, um, but we'll see. Yeah. It's a word I mean, to the wise for love sure. love to make up, you know, good case law for my cases. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I could write a good fake name, but um, <laughs> come That's up with something spicy. That's not good there. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't teach that in con law. No, you. you didn't. And maybe I'm too much of a goody two-shoes. Everybody's always accused me of being so. Is I, I just never even thought that you should do that. It never has yeah. ever crossed my mind that, oh, well, I should make up something here. If anything, I've been overly concerned about not portraying a case in the correct light or, or presenting well, the best arguments. One of the, one of the values, right, of, of law reviews and sometimes they're made fun of that they spend, you know, you italicize a period and they dock you for it. Yeah. But it's to teach the importance of, you know, being very Detail. precise, very accurate. Right. Uh, and you're, you know, you're, e even if they're not disciplined, can you imagine, I mean, if you're going to hire an attorney, would you hire an attorney that you know had been known for, you know, every every time they cite something from here on, everybody's going to look at, they're going to go back and check it. Yeah, they're going to tell their clerk, hey, go look up all of these cases. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> make sure they exist, make sure their citations are correct. And, and that is an implication of an attorney doing something intentionally or otherwise wrong is they are reviewed. I remember one case um, for an attorney, and I, I won't tell too many details because it may be very clear who it is, and I don't want to do that, but an attorney in one of my jurisdictions where I was practicing, they ran afoul of the court by um, going on vacation and not alerting anyone. Um, so the cases just kept coming and every poor client would come in and where's your attorney? Well, I don't know. Um, there was no notification to the clients or the court right. that this particular attorney wouldn't be there. And the implication for that was one of the judges said, well, this attorney's not going to practice before me at all. Um, wow. so there are, there are definitely implications depending on your judges and your courts as to what is acceptable and what is not. And at what point it just becomes so unacceptable that the consequences are a bit larger um, than just a cautious review. All right. So I think that's got us. I know there are tons more um, specific legal issues of the day, but those were the ones that we chose as what we believed were the hottest legal topics. If you think otherwise, if you think another one's hotter than the ones that we've chosen, please feel free to comment and respond. Um, and don't forget to click the like button and subscribe so that you can be reminded and make sure that we show up on your feed and on the feeds of others to, um, to be known. So I'm Virginia Tarani. Thank you, Dr. Vile, for joining us on the Legal Weekly Wine.